Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we end with something hopeful. Although today we are doing something different, we're continuing our fun October theme of interviewing authors who are participating in the Miami Book Fair. Um, today we are interviewing Zakia Dalila Harris about her amazing book, The Other Black Girl, um, we, which we highly, highly recommend. We really enjoyed it. And um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. Enjoy. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast Zakia Dalila Harris. Zakia is a Brooklyn-based author with a passion for writing and talking about Blackness, books, and oldies music. She received her MFA in nonfiction creative writing from New School and BA from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Before becoming a Tar Heel, she was born and raised in Connecticut, where she cultivated a healthy appetite for cinnamon and fall foliage. She currently lives in Brooklyn. Her debut novel, The Other Black Girl, is available now from Atria Books in the U.S., Bloomsbury in the U.K., and elsewhere around the world. A TV adaptation is currently in active development with Tara Duncan, Temple Hill Entertainment, and Hulu. Zakia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We are so excited. We both love this book. Couldn't put it down. I want to read it again, see what I missed, <laughs> dive back in. Uh, do you mind if at the end we ask a few spoiler questions? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I love talking spoilers. <laughs> we have a couple burning questions. They should be saved for people who have already read the book because there are twists and turns throughout. Yes. <laughs> What a debut novel. Oh my God. Um, Just huge congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) We've seen it's often been described as Devil Meets Prada and uh, Get Out kind of merged a little bit. And it really is in all the best ways. It has echoes of both. Um, But it stands out so uniquely. Like it's absolutely on its own. Um, My question, I loved the um, genre bending and I just would love to know more about your process of of writing the story. Was it always going to be that genre bend or did that kind of come to you as you were writing? Yeah, you know, the genre bend came to me really at the beginning. I mean, the actual twist of it came a little later on. Um, but I'm one of those people who like, and my uh, partner always makes fun of me for this, but like, I'm like a what if everything goes horribly wrong kind of person with literally everything. Like I might be walking down the train platform and just like, oh, what if I tripped and fell? I know it's terrible. Um, But it's also fun because in terms of writing and storytelling, I always feel like I'm coming up with new ideas. And so in this case, um, the plot for this novel came to me after running into a black girl in the bathroom while I was still working at Penguin Random House. Um, and we didn't have any interaction at all, but I really wanted one and thought we might. Um, and after going back to my desk, I was like, oh, what if like that was all in my head? Or like, what if it's just me being weird? And um, I got the idea for what if there are these two black women working in this publishing house and something's off with one of them. At first I thought she was a robot. This is not a spoiler, but at first I thought she was like this wild, crazy robot who's here to sabotage um, Nella's life. And, and as I kept writing, I really got to explore 
what exactly Hazel would represent for Nella. So it was it was a lot of fun. Wonderful. And so you you just mentioned the idea for the book coming to you while working at at um, a publisher in New York. And you've also mentioned that some of the experiences Nella has uh, were drawn from your own experiences. What aspects of Nella and her experience felt most true to you and what aspects were closer to fiction? Was there anything you realized about yourself and your experience through writing Nella? Absolutely. And I'm still realizing those things as I have conversations like these (laughs) with people slash my therapist. Um, (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, it was really uh, this book came out of me so quickly, unusually quickly. Um, And the more I think about it and talk about it, the more I I realize it's because of how close I am to Nella. I mean, um, Nella didn't technically grow up in Hamden. I made up a town in Connecticut, but it's basically Hamden, Connecticut, um, which is where I grew up. Um, I grew up mostly around white people for, I mean, obviously there was my family, but I'd go to school every day from K through six and would be usually the only black girl in my class. Um, And so a lot of those feelings about, you know, I mean, wanting to have straight hair, relax my hair the way that Nella did as a young person. Um, but then also as I got older and started to really learn more about myself and and just feel more connected to um, just the, the Black diaspora because of a lot of things that were happening um, in 2015, 2016, um, that desire to cut my hair off and go natural and really um, seek out that Black community that I hadn't really had as a young person. That's also a similar thing that uh, I experienced to Nella. The thing that I, I, I mean, it's hard to really parse out what's different between me and, I mean, I'm not an only child. <laughs> so basically that's it. My parents are divorced. Um, I have a white partner. But the thing that I say is the biggest difference is that the ending, I like to think that I would not uh, go her way. I understand it and I respect it in a way, um, in terms of like what it means, but I, uh, yeah, that's the place where I would draw the line. <laughs> that is fascinating. And that is one of our, I'm can't wait to return to that. <laughs> that was one of my questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and it's so interesting what you, like you were talking about kind of the anxiety of the what if, like it reminds me, and I think both Aaron and I can oh, both do that. Deep pits of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> it's so real. And now it's compounded mm-hmm. in this world. Oh yes. Gosh. Yes. I passed this um, billboard once a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, but it said, um, worry is the misuse of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I love that so much. <laughs> no, so I try to remind myself of that. Although in this case, it seems like the opposite. I your- mean, <laughs> I'm trying to harness it for good. Yeah, I'm genuinely trying to harness it for good, <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard. Oh my gosh. Okay, so at this point, we both wrote in our shared Google Doc. Fuck Richard. <laughs> yes. Um, well, there isn't a specific question with that. Um, no need. I love it. <laughs> like, do you have any, like, it can be so tough to navigate as a young woman, those dynamics, um, especially with stodgy, privileged white men. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any, uh, like advice for young women, young black women on how to navigate if they have if they have a Richard in their lives. <laughs> it feels like we all do. Like Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, that's a that's actually a tough one. I mean, 
For me, and this is something I'm, I'm processing still and, and Nello's processing as well, but like, it really is hard to um, not feel like you have to, and not everyone, everyone's different, but I know for me, I felt like I had to do that performance, you know, of like, yes, I am in this world. I have to speak this language. Thankfully, I didn't have a, a Richard per se in the sense that like, there was a top person who was like, you have to have tea in my office. Like, that's just weird. I, that did not happen as far as I know, uh, at least to me or to people I know, but I'm sure it does. Um, because yeah, that power play thing is real. I think the thing I would say though, is like, the thing I would say, and this is something I say in general about a lot of things is like contextualizing and also making sure you're just protecting yourself. Like Richard was really hard to write but also very fun to write because he's so easy to make fun of. Like he's such a ridiculous person. And of course, like these white men in power, there's a lot of danger behind that. But I also kind of wanted to make fun of that and similar with Colin too. And like kind of really kind of step back and put them in perspective of like, yes, they have so much power, but also they're ridiculous and like don't know so many things. And like, you just have to protect yourself and have a safe space that you can go to to talk about it and make fun of him afterwards. <laughs> because, because honestly, like being in that world can be a lot and being around that kind of personality can be a lot. But it, yeah, take, being able to take a step back if you can, having a place to vent or, you know, a, a safe place where it's not going to get put anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, a Malika, like I exactly, love exactly. <laughs> yes, gotta have a Malika. Maybe four Malikas, you know, <laughs> just to be safe. Offset the Richard energy. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So when you're working inside, or you know, when you have visibility inside an organization, it's easier to see the culture there, who works there, and what roles, who actually has a voice, um, how and why they're creating whatever product they're creating. But with diversity initiatives being in vogue, sometimes commodified, what do you wish that the white women you've worked with, went to school with, understood about true allyship rather than, you know, oh, wow, and diversity training, I'm going to go to that. And then you go one week and then yeah, you're done. Yeah, uh, man. I mean, I think the first thing, first thing that I say is like, just listen, just listen and listen to all of the voices of color that you're hearing. I mean, in this book, I really wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the commodification part because I really do think it's easy for certain voices to get commodified and for the, these things to be in vogue. And, oh, but only one kind of uh, voice of color, one voice, uh, marginalized voice uh, being in vogue, right? And so like Nella and Hazel are very two very different voices, but they're pinned against each other and they're they're forced or Nella because we're always in her head, but also Hazel too. Like I'll give her that space to say she's also forced um, to constantly be in comparison with Nella. Um, and I think there is this idea and this is something that like not just for you know white people in these spaces, but everyone that like you can hold two ideas in your head about the same thing at the same time. Like, this is how discourse happens. This is how conversations happen. Um, so yeah, I think just like listening and just letting it all wash over you and then engaging after that. But engaging where the people who are sharing their thoughts with you on, where they want to engage with you. Cause like not every black person wants to be that person either who is 
educating. So really listening, just listen. <laughs> not, not demanding labor. Exactly. Labor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's all on Instagram, Bookstagram, like you can find it. Yeah. Got the World Wide Web nowadays. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Why is it so hard for white women to listen? Where we're like on our, we were chatting about this last night. It's Oh my yeah. God, having to kind of own that. Right, right. And I, I mean, I honestly, like, I honestly cannot know what that's like, you know what I mean? And I also understand why, you know, I mean, again, I think social media, it, it just, it's just so much noise and really can take you out of what a lot of these conversations are about. It's like people being humans and like generous and understanding with one another and compassionate. Um like Twitter, I feel like don't get me started on Twitter. I'm getting myself started on Twitter, but like, <laughs> it's just a lot of noise. <laughs> oh, it is so much noise. And I had like a bullet point on, I, I mean, I would actually love to hear uh unscripted question alert. I mean, you're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Give it to me. <laughs> I mean, I loved the way you incorporated Twitter and black Twitter into Nella's frame of mind as she's thinking about things. And then at the end, kind of their, her, her thought about how how long it had been since she actually retweeted or been on Black Twitter and kind of engaged with um, like social justice and different discourses, um, and so I would love to hear kind of how how you what your relationship to Twitter is and and how it maybe has changed um, maybe since you've you've published. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like. I was not a social media person at all before this book came out. Like I, when I sold the book last year, I was like, okay, I should probably do that. Like, I mean, this is weeks before COVID where it was like imperative that I'd be on social media, but like, I definitely uh, came to it with a lot of side eye and I still have a lot of side eye because I, I, I do get lost in it a lot of the times. And I like, I mean, the kidney thing is like, I can't believe there's still stuff happening with the kidney debate. And I'm still reading it, though. That's the thing. And it's like the the thing that pulls me to it of feeling like I need to be constantly informed, right? It's the thing that pulls all of us to it. And so with that, that part of the book that you mentioned, like, that was so important for me to include because, I mean, I wrote that book again before the book, before I actually really knew what Twitter was. Um, I mean, I had it, but like, not really. And like, really just like grappling with all the parts of being a human and how hard it is to to check all the boxes all the time as like just a citizen and then also like as an informed black citizen who's working in publishing because all the publishing people like you have to be in the know um, of what's happening what people are talking about and i would argue for black people for people of color for anyone who is you know not <laughs> white cis um person you have to really be in the know um sometimes more so in the know than you might want to be because of course you have to kind of parse out what's emotionally going to be helpful versus all of those things. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not my favorite place to be, but I also see a lot of positives um, to social media too. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. But then even with like, sorry, even with like this book though, like the summer was really wild. Like I was doing a lot of stuff and like doing a lot of interviews and things like that. And I think for me, it was like really important to try to cut Twitter out. But then I felt guilty about cutting it out because like engagement is so much of it. Like all of those things, it's, 
It's a lot. <laughs> it really, really is. <laughs> There's so much I could say on Twitter. I, I totally, like, my, my mind just like flooded and maybe like. No, I'm sorry. I've, you can, no, t- can you tell I've been thinking about this and like <laughs> complaining about it to everybody? <laughs> no, I it's totally understandable. It even like, this is even running a small Twitter account for our podcast is like, like I tweeted last night that we were so excited that you were coming yeah. on and then um, like fell asleep and then woke up and there was a typo and I like re-edited it. Cause I was just like, there's oh, a typo. And, and then someone tagged you and I was like, oh, I forgot to tag her. What am I doing? Like, and it's just, and then you just think, Story oh my, of my life. <laughs> Twitter failure. Oh. <laughs> oh man, there's nothing worse than a typo in a in a tweet. No, I mean I don't judge it, but <laughs> the feeling when you do it, um, I feel like that pressure is so. It's a lot added to the what can go wrong category when I tweet. <laughs> Sorry. Right. All right. Or save us from this Twitter. Uh... <laughs> I know. I've. I've. I have more distance from uh, from Twitter, and I find when I am Wonderful. lurking the Twitter, though it it absorbs me. The rabbit holes, oh the thing, the rabbit holes, the the trending top. Oh my goodness, yeah, the targeted trending topics. <laughs> How do they know that I care about this? <laughs> Why do I care about this? Yeah. Um, so you you spoken to the fact that when you were writing this book that you had black readers and specifically black women readers in mind. Um, Is there any advice you have for girls and women of color who want to pursue writing? Anything you wish someone would have told you when you were younger, because I believe you started being interested in writing when you were a young, a young girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. My um, dad is a writer and he uh, was a journalist well, still is a journalism professor. Um, and so he'd be grading papers all the time at home. And so like, I really liked, I don't know, I just like looking at pieces of paper with scribbles all over them. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, how oh, that's a good question. I just think reading, I mean, this is like such a, I feel like all my, my answers are like, listen, <laughs> pause but I do think reading um reading is really great and reading from uh, perspectives that are not just your own I mean I took so many classes I was an English lit major in college and I took all the classes I needed for my major and then I had electives and so I took like a Russian literature course I took a um like literature course in like 1700 or just like Things that I didn't love everything that I read, but I definitely read things that I would not necessarily pick up uh, otherwise. And so I think that can be really helpful. Um, I also think just like <sighs> writing for fun. I mean, as a young person, too, I'm, I'm trying to remember how many times I got to really creatively write. Um and I feel like it wasn't as often as a kid as I would have liked to. Um, so I, I do think like for younger people really like taking time to write for yourself, not just for school. And like that could look like um, getting like a book. I got my little sister this book of prompts because she's also a writer. Um, and like this book of prompts where it's like just, you know, write the last t- write about the last time you were angry or like write about, you know, like those kind of things. I think 
to really cultivate a healthy relationship with writing rather it being like, oh, I have to prepare for this SAT. Like <laughs> that's where it gets, yeah, not as fun in my opinion. Although that was my favorite part of the SAT, to be honest. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I was going to say about you guys too, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no. Away from that that math section, I took it twice and got the same. Oh, God. Same yes, math same. Score. Same. <laughs> same. One question too. That okay, so this maybe goes goes going back to kind of the text of the book and and the story. The I wanted to hear a little bit from you on the role of apologies. Um, in this story, because I thought it was really moving, like the ways in which the, there's a prevailing power structure that um, is reinforced through like weaponizing apologies when Vera tries to get um, Nella to apologize. Yeah. And then Nella's trying to get an apology from Hazel. And that like, and then that gaping, uncommunicated expectation on Kendra Ray um, was so, it was also nuanced. Um, and I just thought it was beautifully depicted. So I, I just wanted to hear kind of um, what informed the way you thought about the role, the role that apologies play hanging over these women. Oh, that's such a good question. I've never been asked that before. I mean, I have never thought of it that way. I think for me, well, I, I feel like I'm just, I keep piling on all the quirks of my own that are Nella's, but like apologizing. I'm a sorrier. I'm, I'm the sorrier that like people tell you not to be um, <laughs> apologizing for literally everything um, because for me, it's always been a social lubricant. Um, and that's the thing that I've always been concerned with, like going back to being a young person and wanting to uh, really fit into this white space. I was often very much like very much constantly trying to just say sorry or say thank you, just be like extra whatever. And so definitely, uh, I think that's, of course, a, a gendered thing. Um, I think studies have shown this. And um, especially within the world of Wagner books, where so many women work there, um, men are at the top, or Richard's at the top, which is usually how, unfortunately, a lot of these industries go. But a lot of women are uh, toward the bottom or in the middle, like really fighting to climb the ladder, Vera included, and Maisie included. And so a lot of this book, I, I wanted to, of course, get at the racial dynamic and, and the, um, inter the interactions between Nella and Hazel being very two different kinds, quote unquote, kinds of Black people, um, but also just like what it's like to be a woman in this space and try to figure out, you know, what kind of woman in the workplace you want to be um, because we're not allowed to <laughs> be as many things as uh, you know other people are as men are usually and so it was really important for me to show you know that that Nella Vera tension of like this this big issue of Colin and that book being so problematic and and Nella has already, kind of paid her dues in a way like she she really walked back I mean that whole scene is is everyone has different opinions about it but like in my opinion she definitely was able to like walk it back and and did as much as she could do in that moment um so then for her to have to go back and and do more of it in Vera's terms um was just ridiculous uh, but of course she feels like she has to appease everyone and so that that constant need to make sure everything's okay even though everyone is not okay in this workplace um 
definitely was drawn from some personal experiences. I can, I can only imagine like uh, <laughs> the detail. Um, I was kind of like cringing, listening to the, that part of the interaction and um, thinking about like, the insistence that Vera kind of pushed a little bit on yeah. uh, like writing, like emailing. And mm-hmm. um, and I just, I just liked that. It felt like that sinister extra step where they're, you know, you're imposing something that's more permanent than a phone call as if that was going to be exactly. hard enough. Like Exactly. Yeah. And I, I definitely, definitely like, again, thinking about social media, it's like putting something like that in writing as like a, I just like see the screenshot and it's just mortifying. It's just like, absolutely. But also like, and the other thing on top of that is like, because it, right. Like that, that whole moment uh, is really stressful, but also the idea of what could happen if more people found out about this and like the, the threat of uh, social media lurking and like kind of keeping an eye on this and seeing that maybe Nella did this thing, um, like that makes her look bad too. And it's just like, what do you do? Like, how do you, you can't win no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the way you wrote really took us, it, well, I don't want to speak for you, Maria, but I think really took, <laughs> took the reader and put them in the room. You really felt like you were there. I, when I was reading it, I was feeling like this should be adapted to the screen. Like mm-hmm. it just would translate so well. And then when I was looking into the book after reading it, I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> um, I was so excited to see that it was going to be on Hulu, that you and Rashida Jones are going to be writing the pilot. Um, how much are you going to be involved in the adaptation? Is this going to be something you're working closely on? And just for just for funsies, do you have any <laughs> like casting in your mind? Obviously, there are whole processes to that, but in your in your dream world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rashida and I have been, Rashida Jones and I have been writing the pilot script and we just did another um, draft of it. And it was, I mean, I feel like this is such a different experience from writing the book, obviously for so many reasons, but just like the, even the feelings I'm getting as things click into place are different. Like they just come from different things. Um, I mean, I will, will, will write certain scenes over again. Um, something maybe I put in will come out. Um, something that took me time to do, you know, will come out because it's now like, it's a growing reforming thing constantly, but like, I'm totally cool with it because I feel like each time the script is becoming um, better and it's, it's a different, I don't know. I'm sure every writer is different, but I just have different feelings about this being malleable versus like my, my book, because the book, um, and this could be wise because the book, I, I started writing it by myself. I was just like in my little hole, not sure what would happen. Um, and once I brought more people into the world, like, I mean, I first had my agent and she was wonderful and we really did a lot of work on it. And then my editor did more work on it. Um, but it was just like a different kind of process and I felt differently about it. So it's been really cool to, to be coming at it in a different way. Um, in terms of casting, I'm so bad at this question because like I know faces and I don't know names, but, and you, I say this, even though I've been asked this question and I should still definitely obviously like be able to look up people and have answers prepared. Um, but I often, the one person who I do think of a lot is um, Kiki Lane. 
who was in The Old Guard with Charlize Theron, um, which is very underrated movie. I cannot recommend it enough for like a like bad, not good, but fun um, action movie on Netflix. But then also she was in the new Coming to America, which I didn't see, but um, she just has like, she just has like Nella's vibe to me, at least in what I've seen her in. And like, oh, and she was also in, um, uh, I believe she was in If Beale Street Could Talk as well. She played the the main um, character. So yeah, I just loved I love her. I think she'd be great as Nella. Um, Hazel's a little harder, although I do see people who could play Nella playing Hazel, but maybe not the other way around, if that makes sense. Um, But then I also, uh, I mean, Angela Bassett (laughs) could be everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Except for Richard. (laughs) Richard. (laughs) Jeff Goldblum, I hear for Richard a lot, actually. That would be... Fabulous. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 I love him too. So it would be weird and wonderful. And who knows? (laughs) Are there any specific dinguses for Colin that you. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Dingus. That's a fun word. I think that should just be in the script instead of Colin. It should just be dingus. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And the other thing too that like, well, and I want this more so, well, I want this with everybody, really. But, like, the idea of having uh, actors and actresses who are, like, not as well-known mm-hmm. really appeals to me because I feel like this story is so, I mean, I'm not trying to, like, be like, oh, this is unlike anything else. But, like, it's, it was really hard to come up with comps for this book um, that were books. And and uh, visually and, and stylistically as a show, it's, it's also been really interesting because it is a few different genres. And so... Yeah, really having some new faces uh, where audiences watching will just like kind of bring their knowledge of the book or, or just, you know, nothing to the show um, and go in with fresh eyes would be really fun, too. Totally. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I can't wait to see it adapted. Um, Thank you. Me, too. I can't wait to hear the I'm like really excited about the theme song. I don't know what how that works, but like I'm so into themes. <laughs> yes, yes i i had the like the theme to the morning show on like loop when i'm playing oh when I'm making dinner i don't know why it's just kind of like a crazy <laughs> i forgot what the oh no i remember now i binge watched it a while ago and so i i'm remembering it now i forgot about it i'll have to listen to it again yeah do it while you're making dinner i don't know that's my weird recommendation there yes i um, love it <laughs> um okay are you writing a sequel? Will there be a sequel? <laughs> I need more. You left us hanging there. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, I'm not writing a sequel right now, but I, I always think about what would happen in the future um, because there's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Malika's just like abandoned. Um, if I wrote one, it would be for Malika. Um, just just got to get her out of wherever she is because yeah um but yeah I I honestly though I'm not sure I'm not sure I think the show will be a really fun way because it's gonna do different things from the book um so I think the show will be a fun way to possibly continue the story if I if I get lucky um and if we continue on 
beyond the book, which is really the plan. Like the show is moving at a different pace from the book. So, so TBD is yeah. my political answer. <laughs> <laughs> we figured, but we had to ask. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad. I, cause I, I, I mean, when I finished it, I genuinely could see even before, before I got an agent, before anything, I could see the story continuing. So it's fun to hear that other people also see that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Was the, um, did you have any experience writing for the screen before this or is this kind of your, you're diving in? No, I, this is my first time I, I got a screenwriter's Bible it's somewhere. I don't know where it is. <laughs> um, I got a screenwriter's Bible and like, uh, Tara Duncan and, and Temple Hill sent me some scripts, um, for shows that I've seen and, and loved. And, and so it was, really helpful to read those and, and watch those shows again and mm-hmm. kind of see how that that worked and how it translated. But yeah, this is my first time. Um, yeah, which is like really <laughs> nerve wracking, really nerve wracking um, to and wild to be talking to like Rashida Jones last year and being like, hi, <laughs> like, I wrote this book and like, let's write a show and like, to to think of all the things I didn't know then all the things I know now, but also how much I still need to learn is, is very humbling. That's so cool. Yeah. What a, what a year, what a couple of years. Uh, Yeah. Well, who knows how long it's been? I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. I know. Does anyone, what is time? Yeah. Could we ask you, this is more of a spoiler, this is kind of, I guess we've alluded to spoilers, I'll have to go through and make sure that they all kind of end up at the end in the book, but, um, but okay, so you said you would not go in the direction of Nella or the You know, if there were like if there were an in-between kind of thing where like because okay. Like a kind of like well, I guess there is. I guess that's like C B D oil. But like <laughs> <laughs> But like the the sentiment, I mean the sentiment is there for me. Like when I was working on edits last summer of this book and like George Floyd protests were happening and I had to like leave that headspace and like try to edit this book was like just a weird time um, as I'm sure it was for anyone trying to do anything last year. And so um, when I was writing that scene actually in the bathroom with her and Hazel, I definitely rewrote that scene with like, my like I hate everything kind of uh glasses on because I definitely can can relate to that feeling of like wanting to just have a day where like I don't have to think about you know I don't know is this shop owner following me around because I'm black is this like did that weird reaction happen because like all of those things um that really do add up throughout your day throughout your week throughout your year and so so yeah I I could see and understand it but I also know that like these things are often what pull my community together, black community together and, and black literary communities together. And I like to think and hope that things are getting better <laughs> because we are writing about them um, and talking about them in these kinds of spaces. But it's hard. <laughs> I mean, the way that you left, the, the way that you described the, I was left thinking about the hair product as, I mean, this just was felt brilliant to me. It's like reading it, I was thinking, does this product represent like a form of the sunken place almost like with mm-hmm. Get Out? 
or mm-hmm. is it actually the ultimate freedom? Right. Like, how yeah. sad that we have this world where there's a, that sort of, this product represents kind of that, those two diverging. Yeah, things. totally. No. And I, I love that you said that because that's really what I wanted. I just as I didn't want Hazel or Diana to be seen as, um, you know, the, the bad people per se, because there are actually reasons for why they're doing these things. And they do see these, this Greece as being this form of freedom because they're kind of like the world is not, I mean, it's a, it's very pessimistic and sad way to look at the world, but also like given what we see over and over again, it's, it's, it might be the most realistic way to see it is like the world is not getting better. Like it seems like it is, but like, even when we have so much visibility, even when cops are taking video or um, where people are taking videos of cops doing these things, X, Y, Z, like there's still no justice in a lot of these cases. And like, if that's the whole, if that's like what's going on, if we're damned, if we do, then why don't we just take this other route where we can protect ourselves? Um, And I think, yeah, uh, freedom and also protection, uh, they're very different things for different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron, <laughs> do you have any last questions, Aaron? Before we- nothing, nothing left from this corner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was such a great. This was such a great read. Thank you for, Thank you. for talking to us. This was so so enjoyable. Um, Same. This is so much fun. Thank you for your your really thoughtful and really just really fun questions. I really appreciate it. Ah, oh, of course. Thank you. Uh, you know, again, I have to turn off the gushing faucet at some point, but um, <laughs> I'm going to be like, I'm going to be yeah. so glued to the news on like when this is, you know, when we'll get the Hulu and what your next, like, you know, your next writing project might be. And um, yeah, so thank you so much and um, best of luck with the adaptation. Thank yeah. you so much to you both and, and best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Zakia Dalila Harris. We certainly did. Zakia is one of the many authors from around the world participating in the Miami Book Fair 2021, the nation's largest gathering of writers and readers of all ages. She's so looking forward to sharing her work, thoughts, and new ideas with everyone in person and online. So please visit MiamiBookFair.com for more information um, and follow Miami Book Fair at Miami Book Fair, hashtag Miami Book Fair 2021 on Twitter. Feminists Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.com slash podcasts.